0: demons are they fallen angels or are they spirits of the dead nephilim and giants as recorded in genesis 6 1-4 through 4. we'll be talking that and more with a special guest with us on today stay tuned <music> What's going on, everyone? This is your boy, Trevi Trev, one half of Truth Be Told, Jose a 4 6 Podcast. Uh, coming to you guys with another good episode today. Hopefully, your weekend was good. Hopefully, your NFL team is doing pretty well. If not, um, you guys know I'm a Washington Redskins fan, and that whole division is just a toss-up for who wants it more. I don't think either the Giants, Cowboys, Washington, or Philly wants it. just a historically bad year for those four. Um, But Jamal's uh, chargers they're not doing doing pretty bad for themselves as well. You know, they uh, pulled out a squeaker on Sunday against Jacksonville. uh, One by ten, I think, but nonetheless, you know, he has something to be a little bit more proud about than what I do. Either way, Washington beat Cowboys, beat Dallas, and so I think the whole country is happy about that. So, but anywho, so we got a couple weeks to election. Trump and Biden make final push on campaign trail amongst rising coronavirus cases. Uh, Senate Democrats hold an all-night session ahead of Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation vote. And then, as stated before, coronavirus cases are rising. Is that a coincidence that we're nearing election? Eh, Conspiracy theorists i probably buzzing over that one. Anywho, we are days away from Halloween, and this episode, when it comes out, will be Halloween. So, hey, trick or treat if you want that, whatever candy. But an October 2019 survey from YouGov found that 22% of Americans believe that demons definitely exist, with an additional 24% stating that these entities probably exist. Meaning that nearly half of respondents, about 45 percent, believe it's likely demonic entities are real and present, at least in some form. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Uh, Let's see another statistic that will blend into our conversation. About 43 percent of American responded that they believe in ghosts and that ghosts can haunt places. Interesting. This is kind of a interesting subject between demons and ghosts and all of that jazz, especially demons and devils and pitchforks. I'm pretty sure we're going to see that on Halloween and all of that stuff. So don't be scared to answer your door if that's something you do. But, you know, if you like me, I just buy a candy, sit in the house and eat candy. And it's Saturday, so I don't have to I kind of relax on my diet on Saturday. But joining us today uh, is one of the probably foremost leading scholars and theologians on this subject, Dr. Michael Heiser, who has written a number of books, The Unseen Realm, Angels, what the Bible really says about the heavenly hosts, Demons, what the Bible says about dark powers, other books, if you're into aliens and UFOs, he's written a couple books on that subject, uh, Novelties, uh, anything, uh, Stranger Things, he's written a book about their finding the gospel in Stranger Things this is a man who has helped me with my faith and I had several professors point me in his direction I said I was already listening to Dr. Heiser let me get some more of his books anything Dr. Heiser get ready to put out pre-order on Amazon pre-order, pre-order, order on Amazon so Dr. Heiser welcome to Truth Be Told Jose 46 podcast let's make some noise for him welcome sir
1: yeah thanks for having me i i I feel like i want to ask you a question right away what what's more frightening you know the the subject matter of the powers of darkness or the nfc east oh god i I don't know
0: i you know (laughs) i guess it's the nfc east i mean it, it doesn't i think i forgot who the eagles play coming up their next game but it's i think they have a tough opponent so
1: Yeah, they're starting to get some pieces next Sunday night, but I can't remember who it is either.
0: Yeah, uh, we got a bye week, then we have Giants, I think. Yeah, Giants, and then Giants will play at home, and then it goes like Bengals, Detroit. It's like several easy, easy winnable games, but you know, Mm -hmm. Riverboat Ron is uh, you know, he likes to go all in (laughs) or all out, and I feel like it's cost him a game or two, but hey. I think he's instilling in them a winning mindset. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, if you hear some bump at the night or some growling in your ear or screaming or whatever, that can be It, might, it might be an <laughs>
1: NFC East fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it
0: could be a Cowboy fan with all the risk and stuff. Like, or Washington, and be politically politically correct, screaming or something at me. You know we should have won that game. Okay, you should have anyway. <laughs> well, Dr. Heiser, welcome. Um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I know if you've been listening to us, you, our audience has heard us, uh, Jamal and myself, reference you quite a bit. But for those that don't know, tell us a little bit about
1: yourself. Yeah, I, I'm currently the, it, my lofty title uh, is Executive Director of the Awakening School of Theology and Ministry in Jacksonville, Florida. We've been here just under a year, uh here in Jacksonville we moved from the state of Washington where I had spent 14 years um at Logos Bible Software the corporate entity name is Faithlife the Faithlife Corporation Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um I and I, I went there right out of grad school right after I was done with my PhD program so I have I've taught about 20 years um both distance ed and the green campus I've taught at maybe three or four maybe five uh, different, uh, you know, physical campuses taught for a couple online institutions. Liberty was one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, we, have got about 20 years experience doing that. Uh, my field is, I'm a biblical scholar generally, but my PhD is in Hebrew Bible Mm -hmm. and, uh, ancient Semitic languages. I have a couple of master's degree, one's in Hebrew Bible, the other one's in ancient history uh, from the university of Pennsylvania. I'm originally from Pennsylvania, so I, I know all about the NFC East. <laughs> oh yeah. So um, you're not a
0: Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Yeah, it, no, seven, no no
1: no. No, I we don't like the Steelers. So just, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Packers fan now cuz I, I went to the University of Wisconsin, you know, for my doctoral program and Jeez, After after 9 years in in Madison, you know, they just kind of rub off on you. So Oh yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah. yeah so that's I'm a Packers fan now. I Wisconsin. Yeah, I just enjoy them. But yeah, that's that's essentially who I am. I mean, I'm I i I'm probably most known for um, the Naked Bible podcast. Yes. One so of my, that is my
0: favorite pod. I'm sorry. I know I'm supposed to say truth be told, but I'm telling you. And then uh, paranormal?
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, God. Yeah. Because we get a lot of inquiries about sleep paralysis. So if you are yeah. listening... Go to tune in to Paranormal and listen to the Sleep Paralysis. Yeah, I think episode. I
1: think you're going to get a, a new round of, uh, you know, is Christianity based on hallucinogens? Because I, I keep mm. getting email from uh, Joe Rogan has has mentioned my my website dedicated to debunking ancient aliens three or four yes, times on his show. He has, um, but now I'm I'm starting to get Hey, Joe Rogan just mentioned this or that book or thing about this, and I'm like. You know, this is like an ode to incoherence. This mm. is an ode to stupidity. You know, that this whole, you know, notion that, you know, Christianity arose from a bunch of hallucinogens. I don't want to get too far off on the down the bunny trail there. But, you know, it's where is the primary source evidence? I mean, it right. just it, it dies with one question. But but oh, again, yeah. a lot of people today don't care about things like primary sources. Oh, yeah. You Don't care about things like logic. Mm-hmm. they you know it, it's it's just open season non-sequitur kind of thinking mm-hmm. you know it, it's in a book so it must be true oh yeah you know it makes me want to come out with a book that jesus was a time traveler that had chimp dna you know just no, something reading, as bizarre reading, as i can make it and then oh, it's in a book you know you know because i've been on coast to coast am you know over 30 oh, yeah. times i'm going to be yeah. on in november again i can't even remember what, what we're going to talk oh we're talking about the book of enoch Oh, nice. But it's like, I could come up with the squirreliest, stupidest thing, mm-hmm. put it between two covers and go on coast to coast AM. And people would believe it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, it's awful. It, it is a terrible problem that we have a, not, not just like a one demographic, like an age group, you know, it used to be, well, they, you know, when they grow up, they'll think better. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Now it's like huge swaths of of the population of the country, really Western civilization thinks so poorly that they can't navigate something as dumb as that. That that's the situation we're in. It's I mean, you know, and it's even not- when
0: yeah, and even when you have um Dr. Bart Ehrman having to put out a whole book about did Jesus exist <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Right. When it's you, you got
1: to go to the atheist for that, you know, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, how bad can it possibly be? But, you know, thank, thank the Lord for Bart's, you know, honesty. Yes. You know, at that. I mean, he could have ridden that wave. Oh yeah. You know, and, and raked in more cash, you know, I mean, he could have done that, mm-hmm. but he didn't, you know, so, so, you know, we can be grateful for, for that portion of, of his, you know, academic work. Uh, Even, but it, um bad.
0: Yeah. And then Craig Blomberg, he has a book out with uh, Richard Carrier and they're arguing about the resurrection. Yeah. This is a debate. So it's kind of like you have, you know, my generation millennials, and then I guess maybe Gen Z is mixed in there a little bit that has really pushed the internet rhetoric of, you know, Jesus didn't exist.
1: It's a very small, but it's a very small, um, the atheist community in general is very small. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and as I'm an academic, so if, if people out in your audience want want academic proof for that, I would recommend, and, and they're they're dense, but but they're good resources, uh, two volumes called The Reenchantment of the West by Christopher Partridge. Okay. It's just broad religious studies, and basically he has two volumes, and he covers all sorts of ground, all the things that, that you know you you mentioned and more. But what he what he shows is that as the culture has become more secular, it simultaneously becomes what he calls re-enchanted. Mm-hmm. And that is what he means by that is as, as more and more people dump book religions, you mm-hmm. know, like Judeo-Christian Christianity, even Islam, you know, things like this, they do not become atheists. Mm-hmm what they become is they become spiritual seekers yeah you know so so there's this emphasis on on you know not religious but spiritual which mm. is not atheism yeah so so people mistakenly conclude that as in what in the west anyway this isn't true elsewhere in the world but in the west as the the, the church is is in decline people mistakenly conclude that that means more and more people are embracing atheism. The exact opposite is true. Yeah. The atheist community is very small. They're, they're just uh-huh. loud, but they're very small.
0: Yeah. Even, um, Billy Hallowell, I'm reading his book playing with fire. And oh yeah. But, yeah.
1: He interviewed me for that.
0: That's, yeah. Yeah. And so he, he mentions the spiritual nuns, I, that's the first time I've heard about the spiritual yeah. nuns, but you know, even in his book, it seems like, and and I'll tie this into what we're going to talk about today yeah.
1: is N O N E for your audience. Yes, N O
0: N E, right? Nuns, spiritual. Uh, I had N-U-N. explained that in Bible study the other night <laughs> when I was I was teaching on Ephesians 6, 10 through eighteen about spiritual warfare, and I explained them what spiritual nuns are, and you know, but it seems like a fascination even with people that don't believe and. I don't mm-hmm. know if maybe you might know like Richard Gallagher, the MD that the psychiatrist that works with the Catholic church on X. Ex- I don't know if he's an atheist and then came to believe, but there's cases uh, about there's people who may have stepped away from the church have said, you know what? I'm not, this is not for me. They may have found themselves in the spiritual nuns, but they have a belief in the supernatural evil. They believe demons exist, ghosts exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more so there's more so like focused in on demons yeah. Bef- before we progress to that point of, you know, wrapping this all around. Tell us about the origin of demons. Does the Bible say anything yeah. about the origin of demons?
1: Well, there, there's there's nothing that I would call explicit, mm-hmm. which, which is, you know, which has raised this historical question, where do demons come from? And unfortunately, we, we have a number of traditions that have been taught in the history of the church that are not biblical, because again, there's no explicit biblical statement mm-hmm. on this. There, there, are, there are things that, that are implied, in and you can infer, we'll get to those in a moment. But unfortunately, you have some of this stuff being taught at the level of doctrine. And not mm-hmm. just in mainline denominations or Catholicism. I'm, I'm talking about evangelical churches. Yeah. And what I'm getting at here is this, is this myth that, well, when Satan fell, he took a third of the angels with him, and those are the demons. Mm-hmm. There isn't a single verse in the Bible that says that. The only time you get even the word third or three, you know, in conjunction with the word angel is Revelation 12, well, yeah. which is the last book of the Bible. If you read Revelation 12 the war in heaven there is in response to the birth of the Messiah the mm. Christ child which has nothing to do with some primeval rebellion obviously you know it, it 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 it's a good example of a of an idea a tradition and you know Milton's paradise lost you know gets some of the blame here too right because of the cultural influence of that but this idea gets taught like a, at the level of doctrine it has no biblical basis at all now, if you asked uh, the same question, "Where do demons come from?" to a Jew who was literate—in other words, he he had a good command you know, of his Old Testament—and mm-hmm. he, you know, a Jew living around Jesus' day, the answer you would get would be completely different. They would say, yeah. "Well, well, you're not very bright, you know, because we've got like a hundred books here. You know, we, there's a lot of ancient testimony to this, and it's all the same. It's uniform. Mm-hmm. It's one of the few things." that you can point to and say, basically, everybody who wrote something about this said the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that is that demons, the demons you encounter in the Gospels, or Jesus, you know, encounters in the Gospels, are the disembodied spirits of the dead uh, lineages of the Nephilim, Mm -hmm. the dead giant clans, you know, because in Numbers 13, 32 and 33, we learn that the Anakim are from the Nephilim, the Anakim are also called the, the Rephaim. Mm-hmm. And the Rephaim, and depending on where they are geographically, go by other ner- other other names and terms. Okay. But this is this is what everybody believed. Yeah. And and everybody, including people in the early, earliest church, in you know, the first couple centuries and Judaism, it was a uniform idea. Mm-hmm. So ultimately the, the point of origin in some sense is Genesis six, because that's where we get the Nephilim in the first place. Mm-hmm this has a ripple effect. And you, and you look at that and you think, well, how, how did they get that? Cause I mean, I can go back and read Genesis six, one through five, and it doesn't talk about spawning demons or anything like that. Well, the, the, mm. the way you get it is, and, and the way second temple, you know, thinkers were articulating this, there's really two trajectories. One is second temple intertestamental Jewish writers who are writing commentary on the on the Old Testament. They believe the Old Testament is, is the inspired word of God. And they're looking at the data points and they're, they're thinking about that stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, they knew the context of Genesis 6, 1 through 5 very well, which is actually a Mesopotamian context. Right. The context isn't explicitly preserved in Genesis because the writer assumes everybody knows the story that he's shooting at and it's the Mesopotamian story of the Apkalu. Now, we know that intertestamental writers knew that because they dip into it in other places. Mm -hmm. They dip into Mesopotamian material. Gilgamesh, for instance, was one of the lord of the Apkalu. He's a giant, and he's he's both divine and human. Again, Mm -hmm. does this sound familiar? If you're reading Genesis 6, 1 through 5, of course, it should sound familiar. Right. So you know, Gilgamesh is one of these Gilgamesh is mentioned by name in the book of the giants from the Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, there's just a lot of this stuff. So one advantage they have, or one place they get it is they just know context better. Mm -hmm. The other place is they're looking in passages like Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 32, and they see names or, you know, titles like Rephaim or Nephilim. They see these names occur in passages where these guys are in the realm of the dead.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. In, in other words, the place where evil spirits live and come from. Right. And so they just do the math. Well, wh- why would they, you know, th- this, you know, th- this must have some idea. And again, if you know the Mesopotamian backstory, it fits mm-hmm. to think that when one of these unclean, you know, uh, unclean, uh, you know, giant clan guys, and they're unclean because they're of mixed parentage, human and divine. Right. Okay? That's that's how Leviticus understands uncleanness, forbidden mixture. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when one of these died, of course, they, you know, their their spirits are not, you know, their, their their flesh, you know, dies, but just like you know, humans, our our flesh dies, but our spirit lives on. Mm-hmm. So where does it live on? Well, it's the realm of the dead. They're certainly not with the Lord because their their parentage was a hostile supernatural being. So boom, there you go. You know, you that that's that's what a demon is. They seek re-embodiment. Mm -hmm. you know they they possess people you know they harass people so the the idea is actually coherent and it has specific data points in the old testament even though there's no passage that sort of spells it all out Mm -hmm. but you know people picked up on it in between the testaments and wrote about it all the time Mm -hmm. now we should point out for your listeners that that those critters those guys the demons of the gospels are are different than the principalities and powers. Okay, that, that those are a different category in, in right. the world of the biblical powers of darkness.
0: Can you, can you break that down between, sure. you know, demons, principality, powers?
1: Sure. You know, again, if it goes back to how Christians typically talk about where evil comes from and how a literate intertestamental Jew of Jesus day would talk about it. It's a mm-hmm. totally different discussion. So if you asked a Christian, hey, you know, why is the world such a mess? Why do we have cosmic evil and human evil? You know, where did this mess come from? The answer you would get is, oh, it's the fall.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Genesis 3. That's the end. And you put a a period at the end of that sentence, and you're done, okay? That is not the answer you would get from an intertestamental Jew. The answer you would get from, from that person would be, well, there's actually three reasons. One of them is the fall. That's the first one. We get the figure of Satan emerged from that, you know, with, with what happens in Eden. He's the ultimate Nah-ha. rebel, yeah, Hanakash, he's the he's the first rebel. He's he's also the most disastrous because of the result mm-hmm. of what he does is everything dies. Eden is no more. He essentially has ownership of everything because everything will die now. It winds up on his doorstep. He's cast down to the earth, to the underworld, because the underworld was perceived as being in the earth. Mm-hmm. And Eretz in Hebrew is this... You, it's both the word for land and, and, and earth, and also the underworld. You know, one of the terms for underworld. So he owns everything now. That's why he's the god of this world. You know, all this theology we get. You know, mm-hmm. so that's that. But that's one of three. The second one is what happens in Genesis six one through four, where we get not only we get the the, the lineage of the Nephilim, which again their offspring you know become the, the demons. It's the point of origin for demons. But Genesis six one through five is also about false teaching. Mm-hmm. Because in the original Mesopotamian story, that was a major emphasis, the preservation of, of knowledge that made Babylon great, okay, which was the inversion of, of what's good for humanity. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a reason why intertestamental Judaism listed all these things that the Babylonians thought, oh, this is what makes us great. And they're like, this is what destroys people. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is Babylon is a chaos metaphor in scripture, you know, just everything that is anti-Eden. When you hear chaos think of everything that is not what it's supposed to be okay Mm -hmm. anti- eden so you know we've got false teaching there we've got the the demon problem and then the third one happens at babel which again if you're reading genesis 11 you're never going to see a demon or a supernatural being of any kind Mm
2: -hmm.
1: in genesis 11 1 through 9 but if you go to deuteronomy 32 8 and 9 which i didn't discover until i was a doctoral student in, in in hebrew studies because when you get to grad school at the PhD level, they don't let you read English Bibles. Okay. They, they introduce you to things like the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? you know, in primary text. And, and if you go to Deuteronomy 32, eight, 9, there are some English Bibles that have now incorporated the Dead Sea material into the running translation, which is nice because mm-hmm. ESV, for instance, has this. It says, when the Most High divided up the nations you know of, of mankind okay and again this is what happens at babel with the confusion of the languages and we get the list of nations from genesis 10 right before genesis 11 mm-hmm. <clears throat> so when the most high divides up the nations when he fixes their borders he does so he, he did so according to the number of the sons of god mm-hmm. Well, sons of God, just like in Genesis 6, 1 through 4, the sons of God saw the daughters of men. Sons of God in Job 1 and 2. Sons of God in Job 38. Sons of God in Psalm 82. I mean, they're, they're supernatural beings. And so what mm-hmm. the, the quick version here, because I spent a lot of time on this. It's a major passage. And it tracks through four or five other passages in Deuteronomy. It's not just Deuteronomy 32, 8, 9. But God judges humanity for mm-hmm. disobedience after the flood. He divorces himself from humanity. He abandons humanity doesn't mean he's not interested at all anymore, because what he does is, okay, I'm done with all of you people. I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to disperse you. You don't want to obey me and disperse. I'm going to do it for you, confuse your languages, and I'm going to assign you to lesser members of the heavenly host. You're assigned to them. They're assigned to you. You don't want me to be your God. Well, they're going to be placeholders, and I'm done. You're no longer going to come and relate directly through me. We've got these this intermediate situation and you know whatever. Well, let's just see how it works. You know, you don't want me to be your God. Let's, let's see what, what happens. God gives them over, you know, to, to, other, to, the, to the governance of other beings. Now, I personally don't think that those beings were in rebellion at that point. But they get there. And Psalm 82 tells us that because they're the ones getting judged in Psalm 82 for the evil that they saw among the nations, the chaos, the corruption. This is where Daniel gets his theology. Mm-hmm. in daniel chapter 10 do right. we ever ask the question daniel oh, that's a cool mm-hmm. passage daniel 10 prince of persia prince of greece duking it out with michael the prince of israel mm-hmm. yeah it is cool but have you ever asked the question where daniel got it right there's only one place he could have gotten it in the entire old testament that's deuteronomy 32 8 and 9 mm-hmm. okay so so god assigns the the nations to these these other you know members spiritual beings Then he goes and calls Abraham. He starts a new humanity through Abraham and Sarah. That's why verse 9 in Deuteronomy 32 says Israel is Yahweh's portion. Mm -hmm. Okay, Jacob is his inheritance. And that that frames the rest of the Old Testament, really the rest of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Yahweh against the gods, Israel against the nations. You know, there we go, the whole thing. And this is where Daniel gets his theology about geopolitical empires being under the governance of supernatural beings who are hostile to Yahweh at that point. Mm. And it's also where Paul gets his theology. He gets it from Deuteronomy 32 and Daniel 10. When Paul talks about supernatural beings, he occasionally uses the word demon, but most of the time he doesn't. He uses words like principalities, powers, rulers, thrones, authorities, you know. What do they all have in common? They are terms that are used outside and within the Bible for geographical dominion Mm -hmm. okay these aren't the guys of genesis 6 all the traditions second peter jude intertestamental literature like the book of enoch the original offenders in genesis 6 are sent to they're kept in chains of gloomy darkness okay to to quote peter they're sent to the abyss this is a new group this is a Mm -hmm. new rebellion And they're not the demons because demons are disembodied spirits of the the dead Nephilim that the second group, you know, raised up. So this is a totally different group. And in fact, they're fully divine, whereas demons are sort of this quasi status, you know, kind of lesser, you know, what what can a demon do to you? Harass you, you know, possess you, you know, if you're not a believer, all that kind of stuff. Well, Well, these guys operate on a massive scale. Yeah. Right, they're 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 different in what they do, they're different in in, in their, the, the lordships that they they claim. Um they're, they're, it's just a different bunch. And so what you have is you got three problems. Mm-hmm. You got Satan, you got demons, and you got principalities and powers. Okay, and this is what I try to do articulate in the demons book. It is the only, you know, my my book, if there's anything that I contribute here, my book is the only one that approaches the powers of darkness from the perspective I just sketched for you. Yeah. The product of three rebellions. And, and if you think this way, that means you expect the Messiah to reverse all three problems, not just one. Mm. And this, and he does, this is why the new Testament has Jesus in certain locations. Mm-hmm. When he's in certain locations, he does certain things. He says certain things, the conversation he has with powers of darkness, they say certain things, okay, mm-hmm. that that clue you in to the to the threefold aspect of what Jesus is is about and what how his work, you know, the, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension, how they are going to reverse the circumstances of all three problems. Mm-hmm. So it, it really informs our reading of the New Testament as well. It's not just demon, you know, supernatural power quiz time, you know, like trivial pursuit or something, mm-hmm. you know, it, it it actually informs our reading of the New Testament in a number of places.
0: Yeah. So with the, with, with demons, uh, the origin being Nephilim giants, the giant clans that were killed off, um, why don't we see possession in the Old Testament like we do mm-hmm. in the New Testament?
1: Yeah, it it would not have been unheard of the the idea anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the you, you actually do get it obliquely. Now mm-hmm. There there's there's two questions here. One is you asked specifically about possession, and ultimately it's going to defend it's going to depend on, on how you define that as to whether you can see it in the Old Testament. And then the related question is, why don't we have exorcism, mm. okay, in, in the Old Testament? If you're talking about possession, if you're going to define it as, as the intersection or the control of a supernatural being upon a human being, you get that obliquely in passages that forbid, for instance, being a medium. Gotcha. you. Or being, you know, Samuel, you know, contacting the dead or something right. like that. So right. they would have an Israelite would have understood the concept of of a, a supernatural evil spirit overtaking a human. Mm-hmm. You know, in this case, for a specific purpose. Um, outside the Old Testament, you, you are going to have oh, there's just there's just hundreds and hundreds of, you know, texts like from in the ancient Near East about w- stuff that looks fairly similar to what you'd see in the Gospels about people right. being tormented individually. Yeah. You know, you, you get little glimpses of that here and there because of the vocabulary there, there are references and this takes us into the other thing. What, what about exorcism? There are certain, certain vocabulary words that show up in a couple of Psalms that, that talk about um, either things that are said, you know, I don't want to use the word spell because that has a negative connotation, but prayers, things that are said, um, songs that will help people be released from a demon. Yeah. Some of these are Psalms of, of David, and you know Solomon in in intertestamental literature gets looped into this discussion too. And one of the one of the more unusual questions is again, why is it that when Jesus shows up and starts casting out demons, the people, the Jews, they're, they they consider this obvious proof that he he he's the Messiah. Mm -hmm. well how do how do they get that because you don't see any specific exorcisms in the old testament the way they get it is they understood certain psalms Mm -hmm. as being exorcistic psalms and some of those were psalms of david and this is Mm -hmm. the son of david and so was solomon for that matter there's a whole intertestamental sort of body of literature that has solomon as being an exorcist because well he he knew all wisdom and he wrote this and that and you know, so there's a whole body of tradition there, but but biblically speaking, you have to go to a certain, a couple of Psalms and look at the vocabulary and sort of read them through first century Jewish eyes Mm -hmm. to make the connection. So they, it was part of the Messianic profile, but for us, since we don't have their contexts, it's very hard for us to see, Mm -hmm. but we can see in the Gospels that you know, for them, it was easy to see. They just figured, okay, if he can do this, maybe we should start listening to the guy. Right. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, I was... You know, I, I it was, was, it was reading, a big deal um, for them.
0: Yeah, I'm reading Graham Twelfth Tree's book, um, Jesus, the Exorcist, and he goes into grave detail about yep. exorcism in the first century. Um, prior to that, he even mentioned the magical papyri. Yep. Oh, there's certain, a huge wow, certain... body of literature. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's 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 really good.
1: It's alluded to I mean this kind of thing is alluded to in the gospels because when Jesus gets confronted he says so you know you're you're accusing me of casting out demons through the power of Satan well right who- who do your people cast them out for?
0: Yeah. And so that lets us know it's like, it's a widespread <laughs> practice. You yep. know, he was, uh, you know, the cynics. I mean, it was people that were going around that were knocking on doors. Hey, you want me to cast this demon out? Or yeah. you want me to send a <laughs> demon to <somebody?" laughs>
1: but, I think the, the one major takeaway for us, though, is is that when you compare that literature. I mean, the, the people who are doing it always appeal to a higher power. Yeah. But Jesus never does.
0: He never, and is that why you see the amazement with the crowd? And yeah, the, well, he doesn't need
1: to appeal to anything. Yeah, <laughs> anything He's or anybody, you know. Yeah, he, he is the higher power.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, he, you know, God in God incarnate. He, you yeah. know, well, what authority is he doing this? You know, Um, so you you've been mentioning intertestamental literature, Second Temple literature. How intristic is it to understand demon? Let's let's put the the theological. All right, I didn't pay all that money for seminary not to use demonology. So, how <laughs> how how important is it to under or even just to have some familiar familiarity with Second Temple Jewish literature and the impact it has on demonology in the New Testament and even seeing possessions?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's really important. You know, I, I've I've become sort of nerd famous or or infamous, <laughs> you know, through the podcast and, yeah. and Unseen Realm for, for saying things like, when you read the Old Testament, I want the Israelite living in your head. Mm-hmm. When you read the New Testament, I want the first century Jew, again, the second temple period Jew living in your head.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the only way that, that, you know, the reason that it's important is because, Biblical writers wrote at a certain time within a certain cultural environment mm-hmm. you know, or, or what linguists would call a cognitive environment, okay, to people living when they lived. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the most obvious thing in the world. No, no biblical writer sat down and said, well, I'm not writing to the people alive today. Maybe the people alive 2,000 years from now. You know, I mean, nobody does this. Right. So the scriptures are written for our benefit obviously, Mm -hmm. but they weren't written to us. We're not the immediate audience. Some people that lived thousands of years ago. So the only way that you can really understand in in many respects, in many passages, what the writer was trying to communicate is if you have the cognitive world of that writer in your head. Mm -hmm. And for us, the only way we can really accomplish that is to read this material. Mm -hmm. And the more you read of it, that means the more of it's floating around in your skull and, and as you're studying scripture you you know your brain and I and I, I, let, let's just give the Holy Spirit a plug here okay yeah. the Holy Spirit as well is only going to use to help you understand the things that are revealed to you the things that you know the things that you have floating around in your head okay mm-hmm. it, it's not you know osmosis isn't a work of the Holy Spirit you know it, it you, know, you, you see this in, in the New Testament the Spirit of God takes information that Jesus had taught them and helps and leads them to understanding.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it, it's not like the matrix where, okay, turn around. I'm going to plug a thing into your head. And now you're going to understand it. No, they have to recollect. They have to remember and the spirit of God aids them to do that. And I think the mm-hmm. spirit of God does the same thing for us, but we have to take in this material, familiarize ourselves with the biblical writers as people. Mm-hmm. Newsflash God used people to give us scripture okay and people the biblical writers read books believe it or not okay um the spirit of god can take this information and help us become more careful attuned knowing readers Mm -hmm. of the text so I think it's really crucial. The more we put in, the more we, you know, material that, that the spirit has to work with, you know, that, that our, our, you know, our, our brains can work with. It's just indispensable. You know, if, if you don't, it, it's like saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use something I never learned to help me understand this thing over here. Mm-hmm. Well, how does that make any sense? Right. You can only use what you did learn to help you understand something else. Mm -hmm. it's just the simplest thing in the world the most obvious thing in the world when you really think about it and we're fortunate to live at a a day and age where so much of this material is literally at our fingertips Mm -hmm. you know in the digital world oh yeah um we, we really don't have an excuse you know to to not do this to become more careful readers of of the biblical material
0: right Let me, let me ask you this and we'll shift gears just for the last few minutes that we have. Um, is there evidence inside the new Testament that would suggest the more probability leaning towards demons as being the the deceased spirits of the giants and Nephilim?
1: I I think, I think the vocabulary, um, I think unclean spirits is actually a key term, Mm -hmm. um, there's a whole I I I quote this this resource in the demons book, but there's a there's a book by Clint Wallen that's W A H L E N. It's it's his published dissertation. It's it's published by Moore Seebeck. It's an academic work, but the the entire book is on unclean spirits. Mm-hmm. Like like where does the term come from? What does it mean? And he shows very well that that it it's a term that points to forbidden mixture. And this is why it was used of, you know, demons. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it it points to the fact that demons were perceived as being the product of a forbidden union, which Mm -hmm. again, speaks back to the whole Genesis six thing. So if you were, if you were a first century Jew and you saw somebody possessed, you know, and somebody said, he, you know, he has an unclean spirit. It's like, well, okay, we know what that is now. I mean, in other words, the term helps us orient, you know, that thing and, and its point of origin and all that. It, it, it. This vocabulary that that's very easy for us to read over as English readers, two thousand years removed in context. Mm-hmm. The the term "unclean spirit" actually meant something very specific, mm-hmm. and it, and it's this idea. It's also why in the Dead Sea Scrolls you get terms like "bastard spirits" mm-hmm. for you, you know, used of demons. It's because, well, that's what they are you know because it's a it's a it's a parentage pejorative right okay so again if you're alive at this time in the second temple period and you have these evil spirits who are tormenting people referred to by these kinds of terms Mm -hmm. the terms actually mean something which was very clear to that audience Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know to us we have to we have to kind of work at it and learn well what did that culture mean by that phrase yeah OK, well, here's what here's
0: what they meant. Here's what mm-hmm. they were thinking. All right. Um, ten minutes. And I, I did this with Joe Jordan. I did a rapid fire portion. OK, but I want I want you to just do with if you want to. I I hate saying I want you to do Is it forever. about football. No, no, no. Well, I mean, you you know, you're Packers fans. So, you know, you're all doing a whole lot better than what we are. Um. I want to do a breakdown. I want to, okay. if you can tackle spiritual warfare.
1: Uh, is, that, that's actually an easy question.
0: Okay. And then I'll, I'll just line them up in three and you can, whichever way you want to go is right. you're free to do. And then we'll, okay. you know, we'll close after that. So spiritual warfare, should we openly engage uh, demons almost like, Oh, let's go out and hunt yeah. some demons. And yeah.
1: I I, the, I think, I think it's a theologic, I think it's theologically misguided to turn the Bible's concept of spiritual warfare and mm-hmm. you know what it describes occasionally as these demonic encounters. I think it's misguided to turn it into ghostbusters. Yeah. Okay. I don't see any biblical warrant that we're supposed to go out and hunt for confrontation mm-hmm. of this kind. Now I think scripture is clear that we might run into it. Yeah. And if we run into it, the solution is always consistent. And I'll encapsulate it this way. Speak truth to lies.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. You, 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 you know, that's, that's just a generalization because people who are demonized, they need to know truth. Well, what's mm-hmm. the truth that they need to know? That that this entity has no rightful authority over them, that, that the God is greater, the, the gospel, you know, God loves Amen. them, Jesus, you know, all these things. Okay. Yeah. That's that's the general thing. I think more specifically, spiritual warfare is <clears throat> definable biblically as the success, the advance and success of the Great Commission.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, well, why do you say that? It's because Paul linked The fullness of the Gentiles, his mission, his gospel mission to the Gentiles, Mm -hmm. with the second coming, which is linked to the end of days and the day of the Lord, which is linked by virtue of Psalm 82 and Isaiah 34 and Isaiah 24, to the destruction of the principalities and powers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's also, the, the gospel is also about the resurrection. Mm-hmm. which reverses Genesis 3, you know, Satan's dominion. He has, he has no dominion over the believer. If you're a member of the kingdom of God, you, he cannot own you, and neither can any other power. The, the ascension is also linked to the coming of the Holy Spirit,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which assists us, you know, in resisting, you know, the, the temptations of the powers of darkness and their false teaching and so on and so mm-hmm. forth, okay? Everything is key around the work of Jesus and then the Great Commission. So if Paul links this concept to the end of days. This is ultimately spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. Ask yourself this question What would a principality and a power fear? Okay, they don't fear you. They don't fear a particular prayer you might have written. They don't fear a, good, a pretty cool gospel song. Right? You know, it may bother them or irritate them, but they don't fear it. You know what they fear? They fear their own destruction. Yeah. And the, and the only time that they're going to get destroyed is when the fullness of the Gentiles comes. Because in Paul's words, when, when, the, you know, God, has, when God says, okay, I've gotten all of the believers now from the nations that I disinherited at Babel mm-hmm. back into the family, then Israel will receive its awakening. And quote, all Israel will be saved, you know, whatever that phrase means. Mm-hmm. And then the end comes. Okay, this is a trigger point. And so if I'm, if I was a cosmic power, all right, cosmic evil power, let's put my, my cosmic, I wish I had a funny hat for it, you know, put, put my, put that hat on. What's my strategy. I don't think I can kill God. I'm I'm not an idiot. I don't think I can beat God, but what I can do is I can stick around. Mm. And the way I stick around is to distract the church make it worldly, make it ineffective, kick the Great Commission can down the road every day, all day long. Mm -hmm. Because the longer it takes for that to be at the point where God wants it to be, I'm still here.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. So that is the, that should be the focus of spiritual warfare.
0: Amen. Amen. I like, I love it. I really do. That's a, I think I'm gonna do a part two on on the Bible so that I'm doing on spiritual warfare, um, and and I'll incorporate exactly what you're talking about. Um, next point: Can Christians be
1: possessed? I know this yeah. is a toss-up debate, yeah. but if if we're if you define possession as ownership, the answer mm-hmm. is no. And this is where all these, these phrases in the New Testament really matter. In Christ, one with Christ, united to Christ, union with Christ,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, body of Christ, okay? You know, if, if you are in Christ, if you are in the kingdom, you know, of his dear son, to quote Paul in Colossians 1, you have a new master, okay? You cannot be owned by a lesser power. Mm-hmm. So if you define it as ownership, No. Right. if you define it as oppression or harassment harm the answer is yes
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know because because scripture you know you know half a dozen passages warn us about resisting the devil or, or the fiery darts of the wicked or I mean th- there are these passages that, that clearly suggest and in fact in, in some cases just point-blank say that we can be harmed by you know evil supernatural beings mm-hmm we can be harassed we can be oppressed we, we can be manipulated we you know we, all these things and so we need you know the spirit of god and we need the word of god to resist those things amen so if if that's what you're talking about yeah you know christians you can be victimized by that way but if you're talking about ownership no
0: okay all right cool and last one i'm gonna try to put all of this together yeah. um for some that that want to hear the good stuff and I'm considering Deuteronomy 18, the prohi- mm-hmm. uh, prohibition of occult practices. Mm-hmm. Can that open the door? You know, Ouija board, tarot cards, palm reading, psychics, clairvoyance, <clears> all <throat> of that, you know, um, yeah. contacting the dead. Can that open the door for these entities? And then what are your thoughts on ghosts? And we'll conclude. Yeah, the, the,
1: the, the Bible doesn't, God doesn't give commands. To people that are impossible for them to do. In other words, there's no command that thou shalt not submerge thyself in water for two hours and breathe. <laughs> well, I can't do that anyway. I'm, I'm clear. <laughs> I'll, I'll never violate that one. No, you know, thou shalt not flap your arms and fly. Well, I'm good on that one. No, mm-hmm. the commands. The, the, the prohibitions against contacting the other side, mm-hmm. okay, which includes evil spirits and soliciting them, those commands are there because it can be done and mm-hmm. it shouldn't be. So solicitation, I think, is a big deal. I mean, I, without you know, making this too long, I mean, I, I have talked to and listened to pagans and practicing polytheists, Mm -hmm. both on the, you know, just people you'd run into in high school to professors. Okay. Mm -hmm. PhDs. All right. And all of them, all of them and all the literature, the occult literature I've ever read makes a point that solicitation is the key to, in their view, you know, power, these power engagements and encounters bartering, you know, with the spirits without solicitation, um, you're you're never gonna get down the road. Yeah. So solicitation again being defined as just a an openness, uh, you know, doing something, you know, thinking some way, saying something, making making the spirit world understand and 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 alerting them to the fact that you are open to contact. That's actually a big deal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and it's something that runs from from antiquity all the way to now. You know, I could, you know, if we had more time I could tell your, your listeners about an American Academy of Religion meeting where I went specifically to hear a, poly, a practicing polytheist talk about his book. I had just read his book called the gods are many.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And this was his faith. And he was right down the line mm-hmm. talking about how, how important solicitation is to what he does, his religion and blah, 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 blah. So, well, you know, essentially that's what I came for. You know, I just wanted to know if you were serious and yeah, you are. So, <laughs> You know, I, I, it's a big deal. So I think we should stay away from those things. Yeah. Because the other side is real and it can be done. Ghosts, there are actually a couple different terms for <clears throat> disembodied spirits. Mm-hmm. One is, you know, to, to sort of lump them together, evil non human spirits. Mm-hmm. The other is spirits of the human dead hmm so there are actually two different categories and for that reason i do not believe that we should out of the box say that ghosts are evil spirits they probably are but they may not be you mm-hmm. might have the you might have the deceased dead person you said well how could that be why would god allow that well the short answer to that is i don't really know i just know in scripture we have at least one clear instance of it first mm-hmm. samuel 28 where the disembodied samuel right. god allows him to to go you know have a conversation with Saul Mm -hmm. and it is through a medium. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, so like, like whatever she does, and we're not even told what she does, but she's kind of freaked out, you know, at at the result, (laughs) I mean, there, there it is, you know, and and this was a very common belief. Scripture does have, you know, Hebrew, there are certain Hebrew words for ghosts and things like this, that get sort of muddied in our translation that, that an ancient person would have known right away, which, which bucket to put these things in. Mm -hmm. But this is one of the buckets, you know, you, you have, um, the, the idea of, of every person when they die, they have a double or like a, an angel, Mm -hmm. like the, the spiritual counterpart to that person that, that is, is referenced. The idea is referenced in Acts 12. When they everybody's praying for Peter, he's in jail, and then the little girl hears a knock at the door, and and she she hears his voice, Peter's voice, because he's out of jail now. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. runs and tells everybody else, and they're like, "Oh, come on, you know," they don't believe her. But then then they one of them says, "Well, it must be his angel." Mm-hmm. It, in our terminology, it's, it's his go, you know, like like the disembodied part of you know, that other half of Peter, mm-hmm. because Peter surely must be dead. There's no way he could get out. Mm-hmm but there he is, you know? So, I mean, there, there are little things like that, 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 you know, illustrate the concept, um, Jesus, when they think he's a phantom walking on the water, it's another, it's another word that takes you into, again, these categories of what they're thinking. So, you know, I, I think providentially God could allow such a thing to happen, perhaps to, to comfort someone. I've had pastors and other believers that, have just told me episodes mm-hmm. you know, both at funerals and, and in other contexts where they see the deceased person just for a few seconds and there's a gesture or a word of comfort or, or whatever. And, and that's it done.
2: Yeah.
1: And, you know, I, I'm not going to conclude that that's an evil spirit, especially if there's theologically good messaging that, that goes with it. Mm-hmm. but i don't why why god would god allow that i don't know mm-hmm. i mean I, I don't know most i don't understand most of what god does providentially i mean he, he doesn't report to me yeah you know, he doesn't explain everything to me but I, I i do know that you have very solid believers and again i've had these people in my life that have just had this sort of thing happen mm-hmm. and they don't they don't you know, get a book deal out of it. They don't have a talk show now or a TV show or they're not going to have a movie made after them. Mm -hmm. It's just like, well, this, this was really helpful. It was comforting. It was, it was a nice gesture. I don't really know exactly what, what was going on there, but if the Lord's in it, you know, thank you, Lord. You know, if he's not, you know, Lord show me otherwise or something like that. And that, and they're done with it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's my position on that if you want to call out a position. So, okay.
0: Well, wonderful. This has been an exciting episode. Um, Hopefully you have gained some knowledge on demons and origins. You have a thirst for more. If you do, you can always pick up Dr. Heiser's book on demons. The Bible really says about the powers of darkness and even Dr. Heiser, you have a school a program, a Mm -hmm. certificate program dealing with this whole matter. Can you give a quick plug for that?
1: Yeah, we have, we have a two-year program. Uh, It's, it's online. Regist- early bird registration, I think, should actually be going on now because the next semester is going to start in February. But the first year is we spend 30 weeks going through my book, Unseen Realm. Unseen Realm is a Genesis to Revelation overview of the meta narrative of scripture with a specific eye to how the supernatural world intentionally intersects with the human world. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's biblical theology with an eye toward the supernatural. Second year is basically anything I care about. (laughs) And and second year, which begins in February, you know, first year will also be beginning in February. Again, we're just going to do that every year. But I'm going to take one semester to do Old Testament, what I call postmodern apologetics. Mm -hmm. An Old Testament example is everything in Genesis 1 to 11 was stolen from the Babylonians. You know, s- dumb stuff like that. Right. Okay. Right. New Testament would be like Jesus mythicism. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus was just like some Egyptian God dressed up in a robe or something, you know. Right. This kind of stuff you see on the internet. So I want to focus on, on attacks on scripture that people in the postmodern culture now, mm-hmm. really through social media, internet, YouTube, stuff they run into and spend again 15 weeks old 15 weeks new going through that stuff and you know giving them some help on on how to think better about these things
0: wonderful wonderful well thank you all for joining us on today thank you dr heiser Mm -hmm. this has been a phenomenal episode he has written a number of books that i know you all will enjoy if you stay tuned to our social media page i will be putting those books up if you are thirsting for more of this he has written a whole book on angels, just held up the unseen realm, uh, and several more uh, that will perhaps benefit you in your studies and even in your investigation of the Bible. But thank you all for tuning in with us and stay safe and be safe during this pandemic and get out and vote. All right. God bless you. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Peace.